It is Wednesday, the 20th of September, the Feast of the Korean Martyrs. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make your people steadfast in faith, O Lord. We pray for the church throughout the world that we may live the faith for which the martyrs died. We pray for those who suffer persecution for the gospel's sake, that they may find strength in the example of the martyrs. We pray for the Christians of Korea and the Korean Christians in our own country, that their lives may be a light to their neighbors. O God of all glory, the genuineness of the martyr's faith, more precious than gold that is perishable even though tested by fire, serves the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ. Through their intercession, grant to all your church the fortitude of faith, the joy of love, and the determination born of hope through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Martyrs of Korea, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. And up this hour, we talk more about love in the Bible. Uh, Dr. John Bergsman has a book called Love Basics for Catholics that we've been going through. Today, we're in the prophets. Father Rob Jack will discuss what the church means by sin. We're going to discuss uh, the uh, March for the Martyrs that's coming up with Gia Chacon from ForTheMartyrs.com. And then we've been going through the Old Testament with Andrew Swafford and a few others uh, from Ascension Press who put together a Catholic guide to the Old Testament. Today, we are in the first book of Kings. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it's two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Biden administration is no longer sending a team to Detroit this week during the ongoing UAW strike negotiations. President Biden had said last week that Labor Secretary Julie Sue and senior advisor Gene Sperling would be sent to Michigan to support the United Auto Workers and those companies that are trying to work out a deal. Yesterday, however, a White House official said it would be most productive for the two to continue their negotiations from Washington. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has spoken at a high-level meeting during the United Nations General Assembly, highlighting the Holy See's priorities for peace in the Holy Land and the whole of the Middle East. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher recalled the Holy See's efforts in support of a two-state solution. He also highlighted the question of the administration of the city of Jerusalem, recognized as a holy city by Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike. Jerusalem, he said, can be a place of encounter where all can live together with respect and mutual goodwill. In this context, the secretary said it is truly sad to see acts of intolerance in Jerusalem, such as those recently perpetrated by some Jewish extremists against Christians. He called for such acts to be condemned by all governments and especially the Israeli government. He called for Jerusalem to be recognized as a city of encounter, protected by an internationally agreed special statute, an idea promoted by the Holy See for some time. He added that the Holy See is firmly convinced that whoever administers the city of Jerusalem should adhere to internationally guaranteed principles. 
Finally, Archbishop Gallagher noted Pope Francis' repeated calls for direct dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians. He recalled the 2014 meeting in the Vatican between then-Israeli President Shimon Peres and Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, noting that there have not been any similar high-level meetings since the two leaders, together with Pope Francis, planted an olive tree representing the hope for peace in the Vatican Gardens. Nevertheless, the Archbishop concluded, We continue to water that olive tree, waiting for the presidents of both states, accompanied by their governments, to come again to reap the fruits of peace. I'm Christopher Wells. More than 75 current and former American Jewish community leaders are pushing President Biden to only pursue an Israeli-Saudi Arabia normalization agreement that includes moves toward a two-state solution. In an open letter published yesterday, the Jewish leaders called for an agreement that includes what they called measures that tangibly advance prospects for a two-state solution and reverses the worrisome trajectory of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The letter called for stopping Israeli settlement expansion in the West Bank and increasing territorial sovereignty for Palestinians. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be facing off against Russian officials today for the first time since Russia invaded Ukraine. Zelensky will address a special session of the powerful United Nations Security Council, where Russia is a permanent member with veto power over any decisions. Zelensky spoke to the U.N. General Assembly yesterday and urged the world to stand firm against Russia. He said Russia has no right to hold nuclear weapons. He said his country continues to fight the invasion and Russia should have been forced to give up its nuclear weapons in the 1990s. He also said Russia is weaponizing the world's food supply chain and nuclear power plants in order to get what it wants. Earlier on Tuesday, President Biden told world leaders that Russia alone has the power to stop the war immediately. Biden will host Zelensky at the White House tomorrow. Republican governors who signed state laws restricting abortions are criticizing former President Donald Trump for some recent comments about their actions. Mark Mayfield reports. In an interview that aired Sunday on NBC's Meet the Press, Trump said Florida's six-week abortion ban is a terrible thing. On Tuesday, in a post on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds said it's never a terrible thing to protect innocent life. Governors Ron DeSantis of Florida and Brian Kemp of Georgia agreed with Reynolds. DeSantis, who, like Trump, is running for the 2024 presidential nomination, wrote on X, Donald Trump is wrong. Standing for life is a noble cause. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the Federal Trade Commission is now accepting applications for refunds through its $245 million settlement for makers of the popular video game Fortnite. The FTC on Tuesday started notifying parents whose children made purchases on the game without their permission. Last year, the FTC accused the game maker, Epic Games, of making it easy for children to rack up charges without parental consent. Parents can apply for refunds on the FTC's website. You must apply by January 17th, 2024. Okay, well... uh I am that, not, not one of those parents that needs to do gonna, this, but... not going to apply to me, but... Um, ooh. Can you imagine the idea of kids just like racking up those in it? Because, you know, money does not mean the same thing to a child as it does to a parent paying oh, a mortgage for sure or a car insurance payment. Mm-hmm. So true. So you got that. Um, also, you know, when I was a kid, Anna Mitchell, I'm going to sound like an old fogey, 
you bought a video game and when you bought the video game you got everything that was in the video game on the cartridge with the video game right and the cartridge so, was about the size of i'm trying I don't to think know. of a waffle maybe maybe the size of a waffle you didn't have these in-game purchases these newfangled in-game purchases animatronics gosh i remember being you so got tetris amazed. you own tetris you yep. got all the levels I remember being so amazed by how small, like, the Sega cartridges were compared to my, like, original Nintendo cartridges. You didn't have the to Atari blow in like it. Eight tracks. It was really funny. Actually, recently, I was we were trying to um, get a file off of a thumb drive on my, you know, off of, on my computer. And we couldn't get the thumb drive. Like, we couldn't get the computer to read the thumb drive. And Will was, like, blowing the was, it's an old trick. It was. It brought back so many memories. <laughs> it didn't work well, though. Sadly, it didn't work for the USB thumb drive. Anna Mitchell, to quote uh, a great American poet, you know, you could back up your whole hard drive on a floppy diskette. <laughs> You're the biggest joke on the internet. Today is Wednesday, September the 20th. It is the Feast of the Martyrs of Korea. Andrew Kim Taigon and others pray for us. Right now, it's nine minutes past the hour. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bertsma. We've been going through his latest book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we're going to be talking about the love of God and Israel in the prophets. And I just want to talk first about the timeline here. Admittedly, Doc, this is a very rough outline of history um, using love basics as as my guide. So we started in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Then things get out of hand, and that eventually leads to the flood and hitting the restart button with uh, humanity. Then things eventually get out of hand again, leading to slavery in Egypt, and God parts the waters this time to, to set the people of Israel free. And then things get out of hand again, and eventually we get the judges, and then they get a king. And you've got Saul, then David, then Solomon. And not that everything was great with them, but, you know, things really start to spiral out of control again after Solomon. So tell us about what happens. Well, Solomon disobeys the command of Moses in Deuteronomy 17, which says that a king should not multiply horses, gold, or wives, and especially with wives, Solomon uh, really blows it there, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Anytime your spouses are in more than double digits, I think you're into <laughs> multiplying there. Really, but, if you get beyond one, but... <laughs> That's right. You know, I mean, who's counting? That, it took, who's counting? Took three hours to kiss all the wives goodnight. <laughs> you know. Uh, so Solomon and and the the scripture said his wives led his heart astray. So he, he built them pagan temples uh, because many of them were foreign women. He probably justified that, saying, "Well, I'm trying to, you know, establish peace, you know, throughout the world through mm -hmm. these marriage alliances." But it led to infidelity to God. And then after Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam tries to run for king on a platform of raising taxes. <laughs> and, uh, 
That's a Walter Lawndale well. move. Yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. Never works well. And uh, so, yeah, the people of Israel didn't accept that. There's a lot of, um, you know, actually, uh, what shall we say, um, covert erotic language in yeah. First Kings 12 going on in the background that really have this dynamic where Rehoboam is this uh, chauvinist, semi-abusive husband-like figure, and Israel is like a wife offended, and so... Uh, she tells him to get lost and take care of his own house, and Israel leaves. That's the northern the northern tribes. So the kingdom divides because of uh, Rehoboam's pride. He's not a loving, caring husband. He's kind of a swaggering chauvinist, as it were. And so we have a divided kingdom, and as someone famously said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so for 400 years, both sides decline until we get an exile, and they're led away into Babylon, just as Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, Israel gets kicked out of her land. So that's kind of the situation. But during that period of decline, that's when the prophets come, the great golden age of the prophets who call the people of Israel back to love for their true spouse, who is the Lord. Who are the important prophets? Well, I mean, not to that was really a bad way of asking the question, Dr. Bergsma, but who who are the prophets that let's well, okay, let's start with the major prophets. Who are they and and give us a little a little primer on on when they are prophesying? Yes. So in the Jewish tradition, they recognize three great prophets, Isaiah who ministered in the late 700s, which we call the 8th century. I know that's confusing how the hundreds and the centuries are off from each other by one. But uh, the late 700s, this is Isaiah, around the time of King Hezekiah, uh, who um, had a glorious battle against the Assyrians and stood them off around the year 700, a story that even made its way into the Greek historians. So that's Isaiah and Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Then Jeremiah comes about a century later in the late 600s, and he prophesies all the way into the time of the exile, which is around the 590s and 580s. And then Ezekiel is the third great prophet of the Israelite tradition. He was taken into exile, and in the 590s and 580s, he prophesied Israel from exile already. So those are, the, those are the three greats. And then in the Christian tradition, we also add Daniel, who likewise, mm-hmm. much like Ezekiel, was taken into exile and prophesied from there. Yeah. So um, can you give us some indication of uh, the use of marital imagery in these prophets to to describe what's going on between God and Israel in this time. Absolutely. So Isaiah and his first, it's kind of easy to remember, Isaiah 1 through 3, Jeremiah 1 through 3, and also Hosea 1 through 3. He's the, Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. Those first three chapters of those three important prophets, they all use this image of the people of God as unfaithful bride who's wandered away after different lovers, but God is patient and kind, always wooing her back 
and one day the Lord will come and renew with his people that that spousal covenant relationship, and there will be sweetness and a kind of new honeymoon. Well, we'll dive more into that uh, a little more deeply the next time that we get together. In the meantime, Love Basics for Catholics is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. John Bergsma, thank you so much. You're welcome so much. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. I look forward to it. All right. We had, we got uh, headlines coming up next. The Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 16 past. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN podcasts are the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. Your favorite EWTN programs are waiting for you to listen to on your time. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off, anytime, anywhere. Just subscribe by using your mobile device's free podcast app. Find old favorites or discover something new. EWTN podcasts, they're waiting for you. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will address a special session of the United Nations Security Council where Russia is a permanent member with veto power. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has spoken at a high-level meeting during the UN General Assembly highlighting the Holy See's priorities for peace in the Holy Land and the Middle East. And the Holy See Press Director has revealed the Pope's schedule for his visit to Marseille, France at the end of the week. Anna Mitchell, uh, today we mark the Feast of the Martyrs of Korea, Mm -hmm. and there are hundreds of them. There have been waves of persecution, uh, but the ones who are on the calendar officially uh, were murdered during waves of persecutions in 1839, then again in 1846, and then in 1867. And that's, that's before we even get to the last century and the Korean War mm. and everything that went on with the persecutions under the current uh, string of regimes uh, that that we see today in Korea. North Korea, um, that North is. North Korea, I should say. Yeah. Uh, so There are two of them now. There are two of them. 
but the martyrs of Korea, I, uh, I ask for their intercession often. I feel like every time something horrible happens on the news connected with North Korea and we know so little, right? Because they have mm-hmm. such a, a media blackout there. Um, yeah. I ask for their intercession often. Wow. Well, it's incredible when you think of, well, I mean, any of the stories of the martyrs. We're going to, a little later this hour, talk to Gia Chacon from For the Martyrs, which is an organization seeking to raise awareness of martyrdoms that are happening today in this day and age. And I feel like they happen every week in Nigeria. In Nigeria, things are terrible in Armenia, of course. In Nicaragua. In Nicaragua. Um, It's a state-sponsored persecution. It's unreal how much is happening around the world. I mean, that's not to mention what continues to happen in Iraq and in the Middle East. I mean, there's so much happening to the body of Christ, and we need to remain aware of it. Martyrs of Korea for us. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at SunriseMorningShow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. An act of hope. So powerful and so merciful, O God, you draw me to yourself. Trusting in your goodness, I hope to rise above this earthly life and be with you forever in the next. By faith, I am certain that you are faithful to all your promises. You are loyal to your covenant. Even now, you grasp my hand and offer peace to my heart, promising that with your help, I will one day see you face to face not founded on what I deserve, nor on what my poor powers can accomplish, but on your unfailing grace. My hope is in you, the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Savior of the world. Not cast aside because of my faults, I am lifted up by your mercy, which has guided and preserved me, until at last I come to my true home, the haven where the saints dwell everlastingly, entirely, joyfully, and definitively, the heaven of the Blessed Trinity. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack. He is host of Driving Home the Faith, uh, which is another production of Sacred Heart Radio, which also does the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and he's been helping us learn how to speak Catholic. Father, good morning. Morning, Matt. So today we get to talk about sin, one of everybody's oh, yeah. favorite topics. Uh, you know, when it comes to sin and the, the various definitions that are rolling around out there, you got you know, some people who think it doesn't exist, right? Or some That's people right. who think that, that sin is only the stuff you feel bad about. Or some people think that, you know, the church thinks that sin is anything that you might 
actually enjoy, you know, and the church just condemns all fun. But what does the church actually mean when it talks about the concept of sin? Well, it comes to a real basic human principle that we were taught when we were young, or hopefully you're taught, and that is we always try to do what is good and we avoid what is evil. And what is good is that which helps us become who God creates us to be, and what is evil is that which turns us away from God's plan for us. Now, notice there, the key word there is God. It's God's plan, and it's God's law, and we want to follow that. And so they want to say, well, sin's a bad thing. Well, a bad thing might be, for instance, walking out in the morning without your socks on on a cold morning. That's a bad thing. That's not a sin. And uh, But they want to try to do that. Even the new act of contrition that came out said, in failing to do wrong and choosing to do good. And again, failing to do wrong, that was always a problem. Finally, they made an emendation to it and choosing to sin. And because it is a conscious choice on our part to act against God's will. And this is something that people don't understand today. When you talk about, as a priest, and you talk about sin in the pulpit when you're preaching, you get a blank look over your face. Oh, here we go again, trying to make me feel bad. And I said, no, actually, the job of the priest is to help you get to heaven. And sin, uh, in its various degrees, will keep us from getting to heaven. But the thing is, is I guess the question is, Matt, do you think people understand that what they can do can can break their relationship with God, or that they even have a relationship with God? I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, to thinking about this stuff in really abstract and remote terms. Uh, but when we think about what happens in our own relationships with other human beings, which is what God has always told us is supposed to be the the model by which we show our love for Him, right? I mean, we can see how these decisions either build a relationship or destroy a relationship. That's right. And, and you know, God asks us, we make a promise to God that we will serve Him, and that promise and serve Him by doing what? By following His laws. And as we hear in the Gospel, His laws aren't burdensome, and we think, well, Lord, I got a different opinion on that, because our will is often different than God's will, because the human will tends to focus on immediate pleasure. And often in God's plan is, okay, you might have short-term pleasure, but that can never get in the way of your long-term goal. And the pleasure we seek is selfish. And that selfishness is one of the signs that we're turning away from God. Because, again, we're most human when we give of ourselves, not when we take. And our whole world is full of taking. I take this, and I take that. And my, my vows I make before people, even though I say it's a vow for life, it's only a vow until I decide not to keep it anymore. And we think that's perfectly good with God. And this is always, again, the question, God takes our moral choices seriously. I don't know if we do sometimes. Well, there was this thing that happened uh, during the first week of the season, and uh, the, the Jets were we're playing Aaron Rodgers had just defected from the Green Bay Packers. So these bars and this bar in Wisconsin, and we talked about it at the time, said, all right, um, if the Jets lose because we don't like Aaron Rodgers anymore, uh, drinks are on the house. Well, Aaron yeah. Rodgers gets injured on the first series, and so everybody thinks free drinks. Well, it turns out that the Jets actually came back at the end on a punt return <laughs> or a kickoff return and won it all. And suddenly the bar tabs came due. And uh -huh. I thought, this is a metaphor for sin, right? Like we think that we can kind of run around and do what we want, and there's not going to be any consequences. And if there are consequences, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But then the bill comes due, you know, and the, oh, yeah. that's, that's really what we got to deal with. 
Well, and that, and that's really the challenge we're facing today because we see it happening in, in areas of business ethics, of medical ethics, of sexual ethics, of just living our life thinking, well, okay, we I know I'm going against the conventions of the past, but we're in the 21st century now. We're hip and cool, and we have a new understanding of morality, and uh, it's good if it makes you feel good, and it's bad if it if it uh, makes you feel bad or it hurts the common convention. So if my carbon footprint is a few milligrams over, well, that's sinful. That's a sin against the environment. And uh, I think, well, whoa, you know, folks, because that's a sin, but uh, living with your boy or girlfriend or walking out of your business with a few hundred thousand dollars, oh, well, that's just a bad business choice. (laughs) I said, no, it's really not. It's, again, we have God's law, and we have human law, and we have church law, and all of those we need to keep in mind. And, and they're not all distinct. They mix together. But the key point for us is to recognize we do things that are wrong. And when we do things that are wrong, contrary to God's law, there are consequences for that. And and that's why we have, again, the whole degree of sin, of a, what we consider mortal sin and venial sin. When I was growing up, mortal sin, uh, oh, well, you really can't commit a mortal sin because that means you change your fundamental option, and you really can't do that, so don't worry about mortal sins. And so we have people going around and doing things which are mortally sinful. Uh, again, a sin against God's justice, our obligations to the Lord. We, it is wrong. We know it's wrong, and we do it, and we think, oh, that's okay. And so when a couple gets married and they decide after three years, well, I don't want to be married anymore, then they say, well, Father, I want to get married again. I said, well, you're already married. Well, no, you're not. You know, (laughs) No, I'm not. I got the divorce decree. I said, but we're we're talking, you made a promise before God, not before a judge. Well, Father, I think you're being awful hard on us because God wants us to be happy. And you know how that goes, Matt. You've heard it many times yourself, I'm sure, from your friends. Well, I mean, I've heard I hear it all the time, and you know, I'd love to point fingers, but I rationalize my own sins all day, all day we long. We sure do. Right? We is, sure do. This is That's uh, why every day. This is the thing we got to get out to, out of, right? Um, well, you know, part of it is the old uh, Eastern prayer: "Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner." We can't forget our sins, not in the sense that we beat ourselves up, but we know our our goal is to please God, and we please Him by doing His will, and that takes work. Well, thank you so much, Father Rob Jack. He is host of Driving Home the Faith, our Sacred Heart Radio listeners. Very familiar with him on the drive home. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. It is you half too. past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. So far, no real progress has been reported between the United Auto Workers and the big three automakers. The strike at three plants is entering its sixth day now, and the next UAW deadline for a deal before more local unions go on strike is on Friday. White House officials, meanwhile, who were previously going to travel to Detroit, will now stay in Washington. President Biden had said last week that Labor Secretary Julie Sue and senior advisor Gene Sperling would go to Detroit to give support as the United Auto Workers and companies try to work out a deal. But according to a statement, the White House says it's most productive for the two to continue discussions from Washington instead. Meetings with foreign leaders are on the docket today for President Biden. Mark Mayfield reports. He'll meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly, along with Brazilian President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva. 
Biden addressed the U.N. General Assembly yesterday, saying the U.S. and its allies will continue to stand with Ukraine in its fight against Russia. The president returns to the White House Thursday to host Ukrainian President Zelensky. I'm Mark Mayfield. President Zelensky will be facing off against Russian officials today for the first time since Russia invaded Ukraine. Zelensky will be addressing a special session of the United Nations Security Council where Russia is a permanent member with veto power. Zelensky spoke to the General Assembly yesterday and urged the world to stand firm against Russia. He said Russia has no right to hold nuclear weapons, saying the country should have been forced to give up nuclear weapons in the 1990s. He also said Russia is weaponizing the world's food supply chain and nuclear power plants in order to get what it wants. Azerbaijan has begun what they're describing as an anti-terrorist campaign against Armenia in the disputed region of Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh. That is according to the country's defense ministry as Armenian media report violence in the region's capital. Shelling from the Azerbaijani military reportedly killed two civilians, including a child, and injured 11. Christians in Artsakh have been starving for months after Azerbaijani troops blockaded a road, preventing the import of foods. The Pope's schedule during his visit to Marseille at the end of the week has been revealed. Joseph Tollock reports. Pope Francis will depart from Rome's Fiumicino Airport at half past two on Friday afternoon, arriving at around quarter past four in Marseille. After a brief official welcome from France's Prime Minister, he will head to Marseille's Basilica of Notre-Dame de la Garde, where he will pray with the clergy of the local diocese. Following that, he will participate in another brief prayer service, this time together with a group of professionals drawn from various organisations dedicated to the care of seafarers, migrants and refugees. The following day, Saturday the 23rd of September, he will participate in the final session of the church-sponsored Mediterranean meetings, which bring together bishops and young people from North Africa, the Middle East and Southern Europe. He will then meet privately with the French President Emmanuel Macron. After lunch, Pope Francis will travel to Marseille's Velodrome Stadium, where he will celebrate Mass for the general public. He will then depart from Marseille and is expected to arrive back in Rome at about 9pm. Presenting the Pope's schedule to journalists in the Holy See press office, Matteo Bruni, the Holy See's official spokesperson, noted that this would be Francis's 44th apostolic journey abroad. Bruni stressed that the trip ought not to be understood as a visit to France, but rather as a visit to the city of Marseille. The same, he noted, was true of the Pope's visit to the city of Strasbourg in 2014, where he visited the European Parliament. Both visits, he said, have an international character. Marseille, Bruni went on, is particularly notable in this regard, since it has been enriched over the course of its long history by a huge variety of cultures. And it is a Greek colony around the year 600 BC. Over the years, it fell into the hands of Romans, barbarians, Arabs and Saracens. And in recent years, it has gone on to become a melting pot of different cultures and one of France's most ethnically diverse cities. It is a fitting setting then for these Mediterranean meetings aimed at constructing bridges between the diverse nations that call this ocean home. I'm Joseph Tullock. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's now 35 minutes past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. 
Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. True humility does not make a show of itself, and hardly ever speaks in a humble way, not only because it wants to hide the other virtues, but most of all because it wants to conceal itself. Therefore, if it were lawful to lie, dissemble, or scandalize one's neighbor, humility would perform acts of arrogance and pride, so that it might conceal itself beneath them and live completely hidden and unknown. Here, then, is my advice. Do not utter words expressing humility unless you can say them from the bottom of your heart. Let us not make a show of wanting to be the last if we do not want to be that in reality. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Gia Chacon is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's founding president of For the Martyrs. Gia, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. And you're going to be co-sponsoring an event with uh, In Defense of Christians, among other organizations, which I want to get into in a moment. But first of all, can you tell listeners about your organization for the Martyrs? Absolutely. So we were founded as a result of my travels to the Middle East. I was previously working with another nonprofit organization, that focused on international crisis relief. And between the years of 2017 to 2018, I was doing a lot of work in the Middle East with the persecuted church and with Christians who suffered directly under ISIS in Iraq and Syria. And really as a result of those travels, hearing the stories of the persecuted church and then coming back to the United States and talking to Christians here about what was happening around the world to our brothers and sisters, and that Christians are the most persecuted religious group, realizing that Christians in the United States are totally unaware of what's happening around the world to the body of Christ, let alone this bringing this issue to secular media. Um, the Lord just placed a heavy burden on my heart for the persecuted, and through that, For the Martyrs was born, which is an organization that raises awareness about the crisis of Christian persecution advocates for religious freedom, and provides aid to suffering Christians around the world. Well, so grateful for the work that you do, and and grateful for you to be able to come on a show like the Sunrise Morning Show to to make listeners more aware of, of what is happening to the body of Christ around the world, as, as you were mentioning. Um, so at the end of the month in D.C., there will be the 2023 March for the Martyrs and Capitol Hill Advocacy Day. What all will be taking place over these two days? 
Well, we are very honored and excited to partner with In Defense of Christians to host a Capitol Hill Day of Advocacy, as you mentioned at the beginning of this segment. Um, and on September 29th, participants, along with some supporters of In Defense of Christians and For the Martyrs and volunteers, are going to be meeting with policymakers to talk about what's happening around the world to Christians and advocating for certain policies, um, introducing bills and talking about them and encouraging lawmakers to support them. On September 30th, we will host our fourth annual March for the Martyrs, which is a march to stand in solidarity with persecuted Christians around the world. It begins at Freedom Plaza, and then there is a procession through the streets of Washington and ends with a very powerful night of prayer for the persecuted, where participants will hear from survivors, experts on the issue, um, and be able to come together in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world. And we're going to be highlighting Armenia as one of the issues this year. Um, we're just devastated to read the news of what's happening in Armenia just this morning with Azerbaijan actually uh, attacking Armenian civilians, Christian Armenian civilians. We're also going to be advocating and highlighting what's happening in Nigeria and Iran. Just to name a couple. Oh, man. Uh, we had uh, Bishop Mikhail Moradian on just a couple of weeks ago to talk about the the starvation, death by starvation, that uh, the Armenian Christians are are experiencing in, in the uh, Nagorno-Karabakh or Artsakh region there um, by Azerbaijan and, and have been following Nigeria very closely. Um, what other, well, I, I would really like to know, Gia, just, I mean, we've been following For the Martyrs in your march every year on the Sunrise Morning Show. I know this is uh, the first time that you've been on the program, but, but we have been covering this for four years. What has been the growth of, of this march, particularly over these years? It's been incredible to see the growth, and what's really um, just surprised us and left us feeling very encouraged as an organization is the amount of young people that are interested in coming out all the way to Washington, D.C. Um, and being a voice for persecuted Christians. The majority of our participants are between the ages of 18 to 35. So this is really a young people's movement. I always say that March for the Martyrs is not just an event. It's a movement where we're waking up Christians of all denominations to the reality of what's happening around the world and bringing them together as one voice for the persecuted. So we're just always, I mean, amazed by the amount of young people, students, um, not just from Catholic University of America and some of the other universities based here in D.C., but also from Virginia, New York. We even had a few students that came all the way down from Chicago nice. um, last year, which was just incredible. So we're always blown away to see the turnout of young people. Well, we will be praying for an even bigger turnout this year. Uh, remind us of the details of all that's happening at the end of September with uh, For the Martyrs and In Defense of Christians. Yes. So September 29th is our Capitol Hill Day of Advocacy, and you can stay tuned um, to see the updates and the results of those meetings with policymakers. And if you would like to join us at March for the Martyrs on September 30th in Washington, D.C., join us at Freedom Plaza at 3 p.m. You can learn more at forthemartyrs.com. 
And right away, you'll see our March for the Martyrs tab that you can click on and get all the information to register. And you will find that linked in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com. Gia Chacon, really appreciate your time this morning and hope to have you back soon. Maybe get an update uh, once all of this has uh, gotten underway. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. You bet. And Matt, we mentioned this a little earlier in the program. There's such an important thing to keep on our minds and in and, and our hearts, um, especially on a day like today when we celebrate the martyrs of Korea. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this and remembering a an extraordinary, I mean, just an extraordinary story um, that uh, I think we've shared with our listeners before about the first and last bishop of Pyongyang in North Korea. Mm. Um, so to give you a little backdrop, so Bishop uh, Hong, Francis Hong Yong Ho uh, was ordained in 1933, was made Bishop of Heijo in 1944 during World War II. Then in 1949, he was a- arrested and imprisoned under Kim Il-sung. And that's essentially the last anybody ever heard from him was 1949. Yeah. But despite the fact that he'd been in prison in North Korea, he was still listed as Bishop of Heijo for years and years. And the year after he was arrested, the Vicariate Apostolic of Heijo had its name changed to the Diocese of Pyongyang wow. in 1950. Um, so even though the bishop had disappeared in 1949, when it was erected in 1950 as Pyongyang Vicariate Apostolic, mm-hmm. he was the bishop. Nobody even knew if he, if he was actually alive. Um and in 1962, when it was elevated to an actual diocese, he was still listed as the bishop of it, even though nobody had heard anything from him. Uh, in 2013, the Holy See finally acknowledged his death, um, not because they had gotten any information about it, but because people were wanting to open a sainthood cause. Wow. I mean, you talk about an intense story. Uh, when I think about the Korean martyrs, I think about the fact that you know their story the ones we celebrate today happened through the 19th century but that persecution continues yeah and you um, think about how many continues. how many martyrs are unknown to us completely unknown yeah you know we know his name because he's a bishop but how many christians have just disappeared you know yeah. i mean it's it's amazing the uh the faith of of these people to to continue to have the faith knowing what they face that they might die and be completely forgotten by the world but you know what they're not worried about the world are they yeah i mean that really gives us some food for thought um as christians here in a rather free nation so well and and we got to stay vigilant about the things that you know are pressing against our faith but of course let's not lose perspective yeah uh and forget about the real martyrs uh who are recognized and raised to the altars of the church Amen. back after this it's 14 till the new feature film mother Teresa and me sponsored by fathom events is in theaters thursday october 5th mother Teresa and me weaves together the stories of two women Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. 
Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Bible study using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. Get a copy of your own at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And back with us for our study of the first book of Kings today is Dr. Andrew Swafford, one of the contributors to this guide. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good to be with you, Annie. It is great to have you back. And like I said, we're up to the first book of Kings this week. What is the general story in this book? Yeah, well, in many ways, these opening chapters uh, really represent the high point of the Old Testament narrative, and we can go through that in a second. But uh, So we're going to see the, the rise, uh, the, the, the kind of consolidation of what's called the United Kingdom uh, with David and Solomon over all 12 tribes of Israel. And that really takes us through 1 Kings 1 through 11. Uh, by the time we get to chapter 10, we start to see the downfall of Solomon and then this, this glorious golden age, which takes place between about 1000 B.C. and 931 B.C., will shatter and fall apart in 1 Kings 12, and so the kingdom will divide. And that really takes us through, um, the, the, I mean, that and then the rise of Elijah in chapter 17. And, and we're, the, really the narrative is going to be dominated by uh, very much by Elijah's prophetic ministry and the kind of petering out and downfall um, of these kingdoms, um, which will continue in Second Kings. Um, we'll continue that narrative. Yeah, it's it, you kind of get whiplash um, if you think <laughs> about it, like all that happens in this book, like good and bad, um, as you mentioned the high point of the kingdom under under Solomon and then how quickly things fall apart when he when he dies um so talk about in addition to to Solomon and Elijah who are who are the other people that we should know who stand out in this first book of kings well we're going to meet Omri, uh, we're going to meet Ahab, uh, and, and there's a number of chapters that first with Ahab for sure, who Ahab is married to Jezebel, and uh, this is going to be a part of the context in the northern kingdom between the confrontation between Elijah and Ahab and Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal uh, on Mount Carmel, and, and so um, 
Yeah, those are going to be some of the, the, the key figures here in First Kings. And, and I, we mentioned, you know, Elijah. Elijah's going to go to Mount Horeb. Uh, Elijah really is kind of a new Moses figure. He's going to perform some miracles like, like Moses. He's going to be on Mount Sinai. He's going to hear the voice of God. Um, yeah, and then and then as we get to Second Kings, um, you know, that's where we really will see Israel, both kingdoms, Judah and Israel, involved in international politics and get caught up with Assyria and then Babylon, and um, but that'll be the next book, Second Kings. Yeah, we'll we'll hold that as a little tease for the next time we get together. But um, you mentioned, I think that the stories of Elijah are are fairly popular. Is that the word I'm looking for? Fairly well known. I mean, they're they they really you know spark the imagination and and are rather memorable. Um, you know, when he goes up against the prophets of Baal, when he hears that tiny whispering sound as he's escaping from the evil queen Jezebel, um, you know, and all of these stories about Elijah. But there are a couple of things that I think we we don't know as well, and I'm not sure why, but rather important events. So I want to talk about two things here. First off, Tell us about the significance of the building of the temple in our understanding, the bigger story of salvation. Yeah, so I mentioned that this is really kind of the high point of the Old Testament narrative. What, what I mean by that is so Solomon, and again, Solomon prefigures Christ in so many ways. So he's son of David. He's temple builder. He's given this gift of the wisdom of God. Uh, and even his name in Hebrew is Shalomo, which you, you hear, your listeners might be already hear it already. It's, it's related to the root Shalom, which means peace. So you think Prince of Peace. Um, so Solomon's given the wisdom of God. And, and as you, when you look at like 1 Kings um, 5, King Hiram of Tyre helps to build the temple. And the church fathers saw in this, okay, a Gentile, a non-Israelite helping to build the temple. This is prefiguring the universality of the church. What you have with Solomon is all 12 tribes united under Solomon, but also the surrounding nations are starting to be part of this. When Solomon builds the temple, which is really kind of a, a return to Eden, right? It takes seven years to build. It's dedicated in the seventh month during the seven-day Feast of Tabernacles. These are not that. And then he dedicates it with seven petitions uh, in First Kings 8. And the is that number petition, seven important, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can hear it, right? Uh, the, the fifth petition, First Kings 8, verse 41 to 43, Solomon prays, Lord, when a foreigner comes to this house, this temple, and prays, Lord, hear their prayer. So the temple initially embodies this universality, this inclusion of the nations. And so why is this the high point of the Old Testament narrative? Because you have Israel and the nations gathered at the temple to worship the God of Israel, the true and living God who is dwelling in their midst. And that, that's, this is, and there's a real sense in which, going back to the Exodus, the goal is not simply political liberation. The goal is removal from bondage to Egypt to worship the Lord liturgically in this liturgical communion in the temple. So the temple really, this is like the high point. But then, as we mentioned, it shatters. And Solomon, ironically, is sort of a type also of the Antichrist, because mm. he's going to marry his 700 wives, his 300 concubines. He's going to build temples and shrines for all their gods. And to fund that, he's going to have to tax the people heavily, and he brings in 666 talents of gold each year. Well, that that's first sounds... in 1014. Yeah, that's our 666 reference, right? Right there, so he kind of represents the, both the, the, the prefigures Christ, but also the Antichrist, and then it kind of uh, it, it spirals out from there. But so this this brief period uh, with David and Solomon really prefigures what our Lord will do in the new covenant and the kingdom of God that He's establishing, which builds upon the prototype of the kingdom of David, but restores it in a heavenly key. And you know, what other little I mean that we could talk at length about this, but I mean Solomon has twelve officers in 1 Kings 4-7. Like, that's not an accident. 
things like the queen mother. The queen in the Davidic kingdom was the mother of the king, the Gevirah. This was an office who had the role of bringing the petitions and needs of the people to the king. This prefigures our Blessed Mother's role in the New Covenant. Uh, so this golden age really foreshadows the New Covenant, but then it just it, it spirals out uh, really in a, in a kind of tragic and ominous way. And, um, and we could pick that up there if you'd like. But um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've run out of time. We'll have to leave it there. <laughs> but, um, but the division of the kingdom, which was the other thing that I wanted to talk about, yeah. figures heavily in the second Book of Kings. So we'll be able to uh, discuss that more at length the next time we get together. In the meantime, you can find a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Dr. Andrew Swafford. Andrew, really appreciate it. Oh, so good to be with you. Thank you so much. You bet. Really been enjoying going through this Old Testament Bible study, getting a sense of how these books fit into the bigger picture of salvation history. And it's been, you know, kind of easy so far. But we're starting to get to a point where where things get a little bit confusing because we're not going to be in chronological order. Pretty soon, we got Second Kings first, and then Second Kings first, but then First and Second Chronicles. It's where things can start get confusing, and that's when we really, really need the guide. So, anyway, looking forward to all these discussions moving forward. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hope you can stay with us. continue on this Wednesday, the 20th of September, the Feast of the Korean Martyrs. Let's pray St. John Fisher's prayer for bishops in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, according to your promise that the gospel should be preached throughout the whole world, raise up men fit for such work. The apostles were soft and yielding clay till they were baked hard by the fire of the Holy Ghost. So good Lord, do now in like manner with your church militant change and make the soft and slippery earth into hard stones. Set in your church strong and mighty pillars that can suffer and endure great labors, poverty, thirst, hunger, cold, and heat, which also shall not fear the threatenings of princes, persecution, nor death, but always persuade and think with themselves to suffer with a good will, slanders, shame, and torments for the glory and praise of your holy name. Lord, raise up bishops for your church. Amen. Pray for my bishops every day. I got a few here in the Archdiocese of Washington. You've got one wherever you are. And uh, let's just say the devil does not like them. And uh, we got to pray for our bishops every single day, including the Bishop of Rome, um, who is our Holy Father, and all priests as well. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being with us on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at uh, the board punching up uh, music and guests and the like. We'll talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora here in a little bit, uh, really kind of trying to sit on that reading from the gospel on Sunday about forgiveness uh, and you know kind of how that plays out practically in our world. Carlo Broussard continues our series on 
trying to have a language to respond to gender ideology. Dr. Ted Sri has a new resource on prayer that he's going to share with us, and then pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast as well to discuss suicide prevention. So stay with us if you can. Right now it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. So far, there's been no real progress reported between the United Auto Workers Union and the big three automakers. The strike at three plants is now entering its sixth day today and the next UAW deadline for a deal before more local unions go on strike is Friday. White House officials who were previously going to travel to Detroit will now stay in Washington. President Biden had said last week that Labor Secretary Julie Sue and senior advisor Gene Sperling would be going to Detroit to give support as they try to work out a deal. But according to a statement, the White House says it is most productive for the two to continue discussions from Washington. Federal Reserve policymakers are expected to leave interest rates at current levels when the central bank issues its quarterly update today. Fed watchers see the funds rate staying at the current range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent. The Fed has raised interest rates 11 times since March of last year. The Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has spoken at a high level meeting during the United Nations General Assembly highlighting the Holy See's priorities for peace in the Holy Land and the whole of the Middle East. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Archbishop Hall Richard Gallagher recalled the Holy See's efforts in support of a two-state solution. He also highlighted the question of the administration of the city of Jerusalem, recognized as a holy city by Jews, Muslims, and Christians alike. Jerusalem, he said, can be a place of encounter where all can live together with respect and mutual goodwill. In this context, the secretary said it is truly sad to see acts of intolerance in Jerusalem, such as those recently perpetrated by some Jewish extremists against Christians. He called for such acts to be condemned by all governments and especially the Israeli government. He called for Jerusalem to be recognized as a city of encounter, protected by an internationally agreed special statute, an idea promoted by the Holy See for some time. He added that the Holy See is firmly convinced that whoever administers the city of Jerusalem should adhere to internationally guaranteed principles. Finally, Archbishop Gallagher noted Pope Francis's repeated calls for direct dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians. He recalled the 2014 meeting in the Vatican between then-Israeli President Shimon Peres and Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, noting that there have not been any similar high-level meetings since the two leaders, together with Pope Francis, planted an olive tree representing the hope for peace in the Vatican Gardens. Nevertheless, the Archbishop concluded, we continue to water that olive tree, waiting for the presidents of both states, accompanied by their governments, to come again to reap the fruits of peace. I'm Christopher Wells. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be facing off against Russian officials today for the first time since Russia invaded his country. Zelensky will address a special session of the United Nations Security Council, where Russia is a permanent member with veto power over any decisions. Zelensky spoke to the U.N. General Assembly yesterday and urged the world to stand firm against Russia, saying Russia has no right to hold nuclear weapons and should be forced to give up its nu- should have been forced to give up its nuclear weapons in the 90s. He also said Russia is weaponizing the world's food supply chain and nuclear power plants in order to get what it wants. Earlier yesterday, President Biden told world leaders at the U.N., 
that Russia alone has the power to stop the war immediately. Biden will host Zelensky at the White House tomorrow. Republican governors who signed state laws restricting abortion are criticizing former President Trump for some recent comments about their actions. Mark Mayfield reports. In an interview that aired Sunday on NBC's Meet the Press, Trump said Florida's six-week abortion ban is a terrible thing. On Tuesday, in a post on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds said it's never a terrible thing to protect innocent life. Governors Ron DeSantis of Florida and Brian Kemp of Georgia agreed with Reynolds. DeSantis, who, like Trump, is running for the 2024 presidential nomination, wrote on X, Donald Trump is wrong. Standing for life is a noble cause. I'm Mark Mayfield. And Maine's longest-serving senator joked that she would wear a bikini on the Senate floor to protest the relaxed dress code of the chamber. Now, to be clear, Republican Susan Collins did clarify this was a joke, but added her threat was a protest of Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's decision to suspend the Senate's dress code. Schumer changed the dress code for senators quietly on Friday simply by letting the sergeant at arms know. Although Schumer didn't explain why, many believe that it's to accommodate Pennsylvania Democratic Senator John Fetterman, who wears a hoodie and gym shorts in the Senate building. He has been casting votes from the hallway in order to avoid breaking the former dress code rules. All right, so uh, Anna Mitchell. Yeah. I just want to make something clear to our listeners that will become apparent once the Sunrise Morning Show is available on video starting next week. Uh, but I always actually do get dressed. You know, You're not and, wearing your jammies. No, I, I think that, you know, that's one of the first questions that I get from people when, you know, they meet me and they're like, hey, so do you like just wear your pajamas on the radio? Because nobody would know. I'm like, I feel like people would be able to hear it in my voice hmm. if I were like hanging out in PJs or something. Well, so I, I actually, always get dressed. I actually and, have to like, get up and like drive into work to do the show. So I'm definitely... Dress. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suit and tie over here, but, but I you, am, like, you do look nice. We've been, you I, know, I doing and, testing of the video and stuff, and so I've and seen what you look like, and it's true. I can, I, I can feel attest. like people can hear, and if they can hear that I'm dressed by the tone of my voice and like ready to rock for the day, then maybe they, they can think to themselves, you know what? Somebody else has already done this. Maybe I can do it. That said, I don't know how many of our guests are in their jammies. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate. Yeah, it's better I would not say the number to. Is, the number is high. <laughs> and you know what? I don't blame them. And I'm okay with it because they're willing to wake up. You know, as long yeah, as you we, sound we got awake. Up, we got up earlier than you so we could help you through this part of the process. <laughs> exactly. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip Michael Tangora. He's a pastor and a canon lawyer joining us from New Jersey. Father, good morning. I am dressed. You are dressed. I would imagine that you would be. I am dressed. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, you've got you've got early masses too, where you got people half awake that uh, you know you gotta you gotta minister to, uh, and you also have to explain the scriptures to them in a way that'll make sense when their brains are still kind of trying to warm up, and and that's what we kind of wanted to do today is look back uh, to the readings we had on Sunday. Um, actually, there were a couple of readings, but it really was driven home in the gospel about the power and, and necessity of forgiveness. Um, I wonder what you focused on in your homily. Uh, This past week, I focused mostly on the fact that when we are talking about forgiveness 
forgiveness provides, mercy provides an opportunity. So I was talking about a, a football player who, a uh, professional football player who actually started at uh, one of our Catholic high schools in the diocese, and he was in a way that was not very uh, good. He was kind of falling into the wrong group of friends and whatnot, and his grandmother actually uh, went out and <clears throat> parked herself on the bishop's driveway at that time and refused to allow the bishop to get into his own driveway to his home until she uh, he would agree to make sure that her grandson was going to be in uh, one of the Catholic high schools in the diocese so that he would be set on the right path and his errant ways would be made wrong, uh, made, made correct. And honestly, that provides uh, this notion of forgiveness and this notion of uh, healing. And if we don't provide and have the disposition of mercy offered to someone, uh, you know, then they won't ever be able to experience the transformative love of God. Well, that uh, that sounds like the parable of the impertinent widow, right? Who just like uh, you know bugs the judge until <laughs> until she gets what she's yeah. uh, she's asking for. Uh, but you know this this concept of mercy and um, how it how it plays out practically speaking. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who know what they're doing is wrong, um, but don't know that there's mercy for them. I think that sometimes we do a really good job of of teaching what you should and should not do and don't go, do a good enough job of saying, but if you've done what you shouldn't do, please come to us, <laughs> right? Because yeah. this is where the mercy is. Exactly. It's not just fraternal correction. It's fraternal correction with an invitation to be restored, with that invitation to be renewed and, and forgiven. And so, you know, that's always one of those things when we talk about the works of mercy, the corporal works of mercy, one of them is to uh, correct an errant uh, brother or sister in Christ, but to always make sure that as we do such, that we're in bringing them to receive uh, the mercy of God, to let them know that God loves them. God wants them to be happy. God wants them to be filled with His grace and His power to uh, be restored in God. And if we do not have that opportunity, if we're not providing them, then we're only providing them half of the message. Well, I think that this kind of, I mean, you mentioned the works of mercy. Uh, you've got two in there that I think we really like, uh, which are instructing the ignorant and admonishing the sinner. Right? I think we, uh, we all yeah. kind of like those two works of mercy. We're not as big on the forgive injuries willingly and bearing wrongs patiently, which are both also <laughs> the spiritual works of mercy. Absolutely. And so when we look at the gospel, when we look at how uh, it's meant to be realized in our life, we, we have to remember, just like, you know, uh, there's a notion of cafeteria Catholicism where you pick and choose. We cannot pick and choose which corporal and spiritual works of mercy we want to fulfill. We're called to fulfill them all. And that's the challenge. That's why it's always a challenge for all of us, and it's not something that is easily gotten about. Uh, that's why we're all dependent upon God's grace. We're all in need of reform. 
We're all in need of his mercy and forgiveness because we all fall short. And I think uh, sometimes where we want to emphasize the instruction and the uh, correction, what winds up happening is uh, we, we can develop a sense of the fact that we're right and we're doing the right thing and we're failing to recognize that we are still sinners ourselves. We are still in need of that healing and of that mercy ourselves, and that's why it's so important for us to remain humble, to remain uh, aware of the fact that we should have a disposition of contrition and seeking God's mercy, seeking uh, being dependent upon Him. We have never arrived in this life at that place of goodness and holiness. Well, and that's why uh, that question that sometimes we get from our evangelical brothers and sisters, you know, are you saved, doesn't make as much sense to a Catholic, because fundamentally we're told that we are, we have been saved in one way in baptism. We are being saved uh, through the sacramental life and our relationship with Christ through the course of our lives, and we hope to be saved if we stick to that, right? If we continue to be connected to that grace. God's gift of salvation is just that. It's a gift. It's a free offering. And it's all about our disposition of constantly receiving it, constantly be opening, being open to receive that gift. Uh, and through sin, we close ourselves off from it. We say, nah, I'm not looking for your gift of salvation. I want this more uh, immediate sense of gratification. Uh, so I'm looking for fame, fortune, power, prestige, or pleasure, instead of seeking that eternal gift, which we have to hold out for, which we have to uh, sacrifice for, which we have to endure patiently, like you said, uh, different sufferings, different challenges and trials. And we need to also have the confidence in God that if we are still and know that He is God, He will fight for us, And so be patient. Do not uh, uh, lack trust in Him. Just move forward. Sometimes it's, it's a slow progress moving forward, but just keep walking forward, following Him, and trusting that if we do so, that's how we are responding in an act of faith to His gift of salvation to receive it. And we just need to keep walking forward and not act in any way like we need to interfere or make our own plans. Just follow his confidently. It's all laid out, you know, and as you're saying this, I'm thinking you mentioned, you know, our pursuits of fame, fortune, power, prestige, and pleasure. Usually our unforgiveness comes from when somebody has threatened one of those things in our life. (laughs) So that's 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 very true. Father Tangora, have a great day. God bless everybody. All right, 17 past. We got headlines next. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. 
For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. St. Augustine gives us tremendous insight as to why we should pray. He says this, Why God should ask us to pray when he knows what we need even before we ask him? may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for as God, he cannot fail to already know it. But rather, he wants us to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. So far, no real progress has been reported between the United Auto Workers and the big three automakers as the UAW strike at three plants is now entering its sixth day. The Vatican Secretary for Relations with States has spoken at a high-level meeting highlighting the Holy See's priorities for peace in the Holy Land. And the Vatican has released the schedule for the Pope's upcoming trip to Marseille, France. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Today, as we mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, and actually talked a little bit about it at length last hour, it's the Feast of the Martyrs of Korea. uh, And these are hundreds of martyrs, priests, missionaries, they're lay people who died in uh, persecutions, waves of persecutions. There was a a big wave in 1839, another one in 1846, uh, yet another wave of persecution in 1867, uh, but all canonized together uh, as a group on May 6th, 1984, by Pope St. John Paul II. And again, pray through the intercession because the persecution continues to this day uh, in North Korea. because of the oppressive regime uh, that's been in place since the 50s. And I would so. encourage you to go. We, uh, Matt and I, use catholicsaints.info saint calendar, and they've got information on a bunch of these martyrs. Just go and click around and read some of these stories. They're incredible. It's 21 past. And back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack from Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio, with the Sacred Heartbeat. The Sacred Heart of Jesus beats with a perfect love in His Church and for His Church. He asks us for a response to His love for us, and one way He asks us to respond is frequent attendance at Mass and the reception of Holy Communion, particularly on the first Friday of every month. He promises us that we will receive special gifts by attending nine consecutive First Friday Masses. In this promise, Jesus reminds us that by approaching Him in loving humility and asking His forgiveness for our sins and those of the whole world, we may properly dispose our hearts and souls to be transformed in His divine love. Let us make a sincere effort to keep the First Friday devotion so that our broken hearts may be healed, and through our love and presence, a broken world will be made whole. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us today. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Carlo Broussard. He is an apologist with Catholic Answers. You can listen to his Sunday Word podcast at mrsundaypodcast.com. And he wants to speak at your parish. Invite him at catholicanswersspeakers.com. Good morning, Carlo. Good morning, Anna. So we've been going through your book, The New Relativism, from Catholic Answers Press, and we're continuing our discussions on the illogic of the ideas of transgenderism. And we touched on this last week. Let's go into it a little more deeply this week. Then Supreme Court nominee, now Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who is really smart, hedged in her confirmation hearings when she was asked, what is a woman? And so you look at this question in in the book. Now, she responded, I can't. I'm not a biologist. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, she was like presumably trying to cater to transgender ideas. But by even mentioning biology, she was undermining that whole worldview. Can you explain? Yeah, you might say she was selling the form <laughs> <laughs> because – The implication is that if she were a biologist, then she would be able to define what a woman is. But within contemporary gender ideology, that would be heresy, to define a man or woman in terms of biology, at, at least what a real man or woman is. Because within contemporary gender ideology, what a man or woman is is defined by the inner sense or feeling of being a man or a woman, what is termed gender identity. So even though one might be biologically a male or female, what constitutes real maleness or femaleness is the gender identity, which is defined as an inner sense or feeling or self-perception of being a man or a woman. And, of course, that leads to some problems, as you know, Anna. Yeah, I mean, it gets to be, like, Circular reasoning, right? Is that the official way of uh, describing it? 
That's right. So if we define, so biology is not an option for defining what a woman is. Let's just stick with that for simplicity's sake. If we define a woman in terms of gender identity, which the 2022 San Diego County Board of Supervisors did when they voted to change the legal definition of a woman to include men who consider themselves women, that definition amounts to this, Anna. A woman is someone who has the gender identity of being a woman, or you might state it like this. A woman is someone who has the inner sense or feeling of being a woman. But you can see how that creates a vicious circle because you might ask, well, what is a woman? A woman is having someone who has the inner sense or feeling of being a woman. I thought that's what we were trying to define in the first place. <laughs> so you see, you cannot define something using the term you're trying to define. That's a vicious circle. And that's at the heart of contemporary gender ideology. So it falls prey to circular reasoning. And for that reason, it's illogical. And of course, there's some other problems with this gender identity or inner sense definition of a woman or a man as well. Right. Well, what about the idea of defining gender based on how society decides to define it? Yeah. One major problem based upon societal norms that I point out in the book, Anna, is that socially constructed norms are not innate or permanent. They're flowing, right? They ebb and flow. They come and go. And that's a problem for many within contemporary gender ideology thinking, because for many, they claim their gender identity is innate and immutable or fixed. Now, if that's the case, well, then a woman or a man can't be defined by her conformance or his conformance with societal norms. So there's going to be some group, some population within the gender, um, contemporary, gender idea, contemporary gender ideology group that are going to be excluded because many say it is innate and immutable and fixed. And so we can't – so they – would be in a pickle if they would tr were to try and define a woman as someone who identifies with social norms that are viewed as expressive of a woman. So that's a major problem there. So they're going to have to not tolerate many members of the LGBTQ plus community if they try and define what a man or a woman is based upon societal norms. Well, and then also really undermines the ideas of, of feminism, but that's a whole other conversation that that right. we can get into at a different time perhaps but um what about you know just this idea like okay well a man or a woman is just whatever you want it to be carlo yeah and and you might end up encountering some folks with that once you point out the incoherencies of the inner sense definition or the gender identity definition and that, you, you know, biology is off limits, societal norms are off limits, and it might just amount to this total relativism as well. It's going to be whatever it means to you. But if we can define anything to mean anything we want, <laughs> well, then it means nothing in reality. If a woman is going to be defined based upon whatever somebody thinks it means, well, then it means nothing in reality. And if it means nothing in reality, then no sense can be made of any person claiming to be a woman, including the poster childs, Caitlyn Jenner, the one called Leah Thomas, Gaz uh, um, Jennings, or Rachel Levine, right? No sense can be made of any of those claims. And that would be a problem for contemporary gender ideology. Yep. So basically, we got to keep the pronouns, don't we, Carlo? Indeed we do, because we have to map on to reality. Yep. Yep.
we got to map onto reality. We got to live in reality, folks. The book is called The New Relativism. You can find it linked at Sunrise Morning Show. Com, and you can invite Carlo to speak at your parish. I know he wants to go there. CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com. Also linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Carlo, thank you very much, sir. Th- thank you, Anna. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. So far, there's been no real progress reported between the United Auto Workers and the big three automakers as a strike at three plants continues into its sixth day today. The next UAW deadline for a deal before more local unions go on strike is Friday. White House officials who were previously going to travel to Detroit will now be staying in Washington. President Biden had said last week that Labor Secretary Julie Sue and senior advisor Gene Sperling would be going to Detroit to give support as the United Auto Workers and companies try to work out a deal. But according to a statement now, the White House says it would be most productive for the two to continue the discussions from Washington instead. Federal Reserve policymakers are expected to leave interest rates at current levels when the central bank issues its quarterly update today. Fed watchers See the rate staying at the current range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent. The Fed has raised interest rates 11 times since March of last year. Meetings with foreign leaders are on the docket today for President Biden. Mark Mayfield has more. He'll meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly, along with Brazilian President Luis Inacio Lula da Silva. Biden addressed the U.N. General Assembly yesterday, saying the U.S. and its allies will continue to stand with Ukraine in its fight against Russia. The president returns to the White House Thursday to host Ukrainian President Zelensky. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, President Zelensky will be facing off against Russian officials today for the first time since Russia invaded Ukraine. Zelensky will be addressing a special session of the powerful United Nations Security Council, where Russia is a permanent member with veto power. Zelensky spoke to the U.N. General Assembly yesterday, urging the world to stand firm against Russia, saying they have no right to hold nuclear weapons and saying that Russia should have been forced to give up its nuclear weapons in the 1990s. He also said Russia is weaponizing the world's food supply chain and nuclear power plants in order to get what it wants. Azerbaijan has begun what they're describing as an anti-terrorist campaign against Armenia in the disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh, also known as Artsakh. That, according to the country's defense ministry, as Armenian media reports violence in the region's capital. Shelling from the Azerbaijan military reportedly killed two civilians, including a child, and injured 11. Christians in Artsakh have been starving for months after Azerbaijani troops blockaded a road that prevented imports of food into the region. The Holy See press director has revealed the Pope's schedule for his visit to Marseille, France at the end of the week. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollock reports. Pope Francis will depart from Rome's Fiumicino Airport at half past two on Friday afternoon, arriving at around quarter past four in Marseille. After a brief official welcome from France's Prime Minister, he will head to Marseille's Basilica of Notre-Dame de la Garde, where he will pray with the clergy of the local diocese. Following that, he will participate in another brief prayer service this time together with a group of professionals drawn from various organisations dedicated to the care of seafarers, migrants and refugees. The following day, Saturday the 23rd of September, 
He will participate in the final session of the church-sponsored Mediterranean meetings, which bring together bishops and young people from North Africa, the Middle East and Southern Europe. He will then meet privately with the French President Emmanuel Macron. After lunch, Pope Francis will travel to Marseille's Velodrome Stadium, where he will celebrate Mass for the general public. He will then depart from Marseille and is expected to arrive back in Rome at about 9pm. Presenting the Pope's schedule to journalists in the Holy See press office, Matteo Bruni, the Holy See's official spokesperson, noted that this would be Francis's 44th apostolic journey abroad. Bruni stressed that the trip ought not to be understood as a visit to France, but rather as a visit to the city of Marseille. The same, he noted, was true of the Pope's visit to the city of Strasbourg in 2014, where he visited the European Parliament. Both visits, he said, have an international character. Marseille, Bruni went on, is particularly notable in this regard, since it has been enriched over the course of its long history by a huge variety of cultures. And it is a Greek colony around the year 600 BC. Over the years, it fell into the hands of Romans, barbarians, Arabs and Saracens. And in recent years, it has gone on to become a melting pot of different cultures and one of France's most ethnically diverse cities. It is a fitting setting then for these Mediterranean meetings aimed at constructing bridges between the diverse nations that call this ocean home. I'm Joseph Tullock. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 minutes past. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why did Christ found the church? Christ founded the church to teach, to govern, to sanctify, and to save all men. The church teaches. We see the church teaching from the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. This teaching of truth, confirmed by the Holy Spirit, has been perpetuated through time. And it is always united with governance. St. Peter also, in the beginning of the church, helped to appoint deacons in order to secure the temporalities of the early Christians. The church sanctifies. It tries to bring men into a relationship with God whereby sin is gradually purged from their lives and grace and goodness is built up so that they might one day be saved. Christ founded the church to teach, govern, sanctify, and save all men by means of his power for the sake of reaching his glory. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Dr. Edward Sree, who's, who's part of a new video series through Ascension Press. It's called When You Pray, A Clear Path to a Deeper Relationship with God. You can find it at ascensionpress.com slash when you pray. Dr. Sree, welcome back. Oh, so good to be with you again. So this is one of those 
topics where a lot of people can be like, yeah, whatever. Uh, tell me what the arguments are for certain aspects of truth so I can defend my faith in the public square and fight the culture wars and you know respond to my Protestant relatives. This idea of prayer as the centrality of the Christian life, I think sometimes gets lost in some of the discourse out there. Yeah, I would say, actually, if we want to transform the culture and you know make a difference in the world out there, if we want great Christian homes, if I want a great marriage, I want to have my children raised well in the faith and give the best of myself as a dad, all these things, I need an interior life. I need the life of prayer. I need to become a saint. That, that, that's what's going to transform the world. This is the way God works throughout history, is the world is transformed. It is impacted. It is changed through great holy men and women of God. And that can't happen if I don't have a regular prayer life. You know, I, I want to tell a story. I was this summer. I went for the first time to Spain. I took my wife on a little mini pilgrimage in the footsteps of St. John the Cross and Teresa of Avila. She's a huge Carmelite fan, and so we did it for our anniversary. But if you go to the courtyard of where Teresa of Avila was, was, was where her convent was, there's these concentric circles on the pavement, seven circles, and in the outermost circle, you have the Roman numeral one, and then the next circle, Roman numeral two, and so forth, until so you get to the very middle, which is Roman numeral seven, that has a cross in it. And if you know the life of Teresa of Avila, this is a reference to her wonderful work called The Interior Castle, where she says, our souls are like an interior castle, and the king is dwelling in the middle, and the closer we live in our interior life, the more we're united to Jesus, and he changes us and transforms us with his love. So the point she makes is that if you want to be in the interior castle, like many Catholics will go, well, I wonder where I'm at, am I level one, level three, level five? You're not, uh, she says if you want to be just at level one, if you want to be just a beginner as a Christian disciple, then you need to have a daily prayer life. <laughs> so, and, and I think it's so important because what happens is if uh, I want to love my wife, I can't love her with just my love on my own, because my love is sincere, but it's fallen, it's weak, it's full of vices and imperfections and pride and selfishness. My wife needs Jesus radiating through me. My children need more than Edward III's love. They, they, they need Christ radiating through me, but that can only happen with a daily prayer life. Well, that's a good foundation for the why behind this a new project from Ascension, but let's talk about the what. So if people... Uh, get involved and, and check out your uh, new project, When You Pray. Uh, how's it set up, and how's it going to help them, hopefully, to get to extra layers of the interior castle, as it were? Yeah, well, first of all, I'll explain what the, pro- what the project is. There's, there's, first of all, there's a foundational just book that has 30 short reflections uh, based on the wisdom of the saints, and it's a book about not how to pray, it's a book that you use in prayer. It's a book you take to the chapel when you're praying at home in the morning. And it's all about not how to pray, but how to cooperate with God in prayer, how to allow God to, to bring his love into your soul more, to change you, to transform you, to heal you of your various sins and weaknesses, to grow in trust, to grow in surrender, to allow the Holy Spirit to really lead your life. So that's what the book is about, and it takes you through themes from the spiritual life and many different saints. And and so 30 short reflections, I often give people what I call the 30-day prayer challenge. If you haven't been praying regularly or, you know, you, you, you want to restart your prayer life, you make a commitment for 30 days and give 15, 20 minutes to God every day in quiet prayer. And, and this is a book that they could use for that, taking the wisdom of the saints to their prayer life. 
Now, the video series, this is for a small group. You can use it for a men's group, a women's group, a Bible study group. You can use it with your family. We filmed overseas in Europe at the sites of, of many of the great saints. You get to go see where St. Catherine of Siena lived and where she prayed and encountered God. You get to see where St. Francis of Assisi lived. You see the, uh, the relics of various saints in Rome. So we, we travel around Italy. And, and what we're doing is we're walking through the, the themes of Catholic spirituality and, and how to grow in trust, how to grow in prayer, how to, how to allow God to lead my life. And so it can be used in a small group setting. Uh, think of it as like a Bible study on Catholic spirituality and how to go deeper in your friendship with God. Uh, so that, that's what the, the nuts and bolts of the, the program, the video series, or the book, they stand on their own or you, they could be used together either way. I was just going to say, prayer encompasses just so many different things. There are so many uh, rich resources the Church has put together on prayer over the years, so many great saints who have modeled this. Uh, you know, when I grew up in my evangelical world, uh, we had two kinds of prayer, Dr. Sri. There is praying out loud and praying to yourself. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, when you would pray using actual verbal words outside of your mouth, right, into the air, and there would be the ones where you sort of prayed in the silence of your hearts. The Church classifies... Both of those is vocal prayer, and they're both only one level of a possible three. So, I mean, do you get into some of those different options that people have, like the different uh, resources and tools that people can tap into? Say, for instance, if they you know, tried the rosary and it just wasn't getting them where they wanted to go, like some of the other options that are out there that might take them there? Yeah, so I have it at the at the back of the book for those that want to like just get started in prayer. I have a little appendix called "How to Get Started," and I talk about the different kinds of prayer. You're talking, you're referring to the first one, vocal prayer. Then there's meditation and contemplation. So vocal prayer is you know like what you said. You're saying prayers out loud, bringing petitions, Our Fathers, Hail Marys, um, and devotions that we have, novenas. Those are all kinds of vocal prayers. And the prayer that St. Teresa of Avila was talking about that we need isn't the vocal prayer. I mean, we should have that in our life. It's really good. But the, the one that's most essential for us to really grow in the spiritual life, the one that we need to just enter the interior castle, is what the Church calls meditation, which isn't anything really complex or esoteric. It's simply where we take a sacred text, like the Gospel reading for the, for the day at Mass, or the, you just read a Bible passage, or maybe a text from a saint or some little devotional book, and you read a line or two, you pause, you talk to God about it. Lord, what, what, is, what, do, you, what do these words mean for me today? How, how does this speak to my life right now? How does this apply to my life, Lord? And you, and you take time, you listen, you're talking to God about it. It's not just reading. A lot of people like today, they say, oh, oh my prayer life is I listen to a podcast, or my prayer life is I pray the rosary, or my prayer life is I do morning prayer or evening prayer, or I do novenas, or I read things, and I turn prayer into study hall. And I want to be clear, all those things are wonderful. They can enrich our spiritual life. But the thing we need the most, the most essential thing that the saints are calling us to, that the Church calls us to, is daily meditation. Do I have 15, 20 minutes of that quiet time every day to listen to the Lord, to talk to the Lord, to use my mind? Things like Lexio Divina is one method where you, you read the passage of Scripture multiple times, and you focus on the word that stands out to you when you're reading, you talk to God about it, how does this word speak to me? Or there's Ignatian meditation, where you put yourself in the scene, you imagine being at Cana, and they ran out of wine in the panic, and, uh, and then all of a sudden Jesus and Mary are, are there, and, and Mary looks you in the eye and says, do whatever he tells you. And you, try, you, you can imagine, like, how would, how would you feel, how would you respond? That's something St. Ignatius of Loyola encouraged us to do. So those are different kinds of meditative prayer. This is what we need for our, our daily spiritual lives. 
Well, thanks so much, Dr. Ted Street. You can find his new stuff linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're back with pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast for right after this. It's a quarter till. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. This is Dr. David Anders. Does the problem of evil keep you from believing in God? Join us for Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 till, here's Anna with headlines. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be facing off against Russian officials when he speaks at a session of the United Nations Security Council where Russia is a permanent member with veto power. Donald Trump is taking heat from Republican governors who signed heartbeat bills in their states, having criticized those bills. And the Vatican Secretary for Relations with States spoke at a high-level meeting at the U.N. General Assembly yesterday, highlighting the Holy See's priorities for peace in the Holy Land. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, September 20th. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, a licensed counselor with decades of experience, both as a seminary instructor as well as a licensed counselor uh, helping men and women with the things that people wrestle with. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. Well, this is one of the most difficult topics that we have to yeah. talk about, um, but it is important to talk about it, and that's the question of suicide and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, bringing our Catholic perspective to bear on this. And maybe mm-hmm. a good place to start uh, would be, you know, what do we know about suicide in terms of stats and uh, who's most mm-hmm. vulnerable, and what are some of the things that people think they know about mm-hmm. suicide that isn't really true? 
Yeah, so today, Matt, I think it'd be great if we could talk about some of the misconceptions about suicide, and then maybe the next segment, we could talk about what we could do about prevention. This is National Suicide Awareness Month, and it really gets us into our faith. Like you said, it's about the Paschal mystery and the mystery of the cross and suffering and how we deal with that. So, you know, the good and bad news, so the suicide rate had started to go down before the pandemic, and then it's just jumped really high since 2021 as we came out of the pandemic. And that a couple of things, like every every day, about 135 people in the United States commit suicide. That's a lot of folks, right? And that, you know, sometimes a misconception might be that uh, it's the young people who are committing suicide, <clears throat> and there's still too many of them, but actually that's dropped by about 8%. But on the other end, people over 65 are, that rate has increased about 8% over the last couple of years. Men usually uh, commit suicide many more times than women, although women make more attempts. Men usually use more deadly, lethal means, particularly firearms. So, so it's a big uh, question, Matt. And, and the biggest group, that, when we look at all the demographics, the highest suicide rate is for our seniors over 85. So you can see, you know, losses, grief, uh, physical ailments, uh, losing a lot of friends, not having a support system, isolation, which gives us some things to think about. Like there's some populations we need to be aware of, right? Now, some of the myths, Matt, would be, and this is probably the most frequent one I hear, and unfortunately, you know, I was putting this topic together and thinking of all the people I know, unfortunately, that have taken their own lives. And people will usually say, we didn't see it coming, it just came out of the blue. And in my field, there's just not very many things that come out of the blue, and suicide is is one of those, right? It is, uh, it's, it's, we can see the signs afterwards. The problem is that suicidal people often don't, they're not clear about what uh, their intentions are. So the exact time and date and means and all that, we can't predict that. But usually people, people who commit suicide have generally tried to hurt themselves before. They generally have told somebody else that they're really in a bad place. They don't want to be around anymore, which that's, you know, grim, but it gives us some options for intervention. The other one is that, okay, once somebody has decided to commit suicide, there's nothing you can do to stop them. And all the research when people try to commit suicide but don't complete it, or when we're putting together what we call psychological autopsies afterwards, a key word that comes up there is ambivalence. Right up until the moment that people actually do the act that takes their lives away. People are going back and forth, back and forth. They're even making plans about the future. They book cruises, they you know, are planning vacations. And so that's the part that really upsets yeah, us. Is Kevin, that, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, have, I have a question about that too, because yes. I think this really helps uh, give insight, and we're gonna mm -hmm. get into this more in, in a little bit, uh, as to you know why the church mm -hmm. says, if this is someone you know, Entrust them to the divine mercy because you simply don't know what's happening in that last, yeah. that yeah. last millisecond <laughs> of where <laughs> where grace might break in, mm -hmm. uh, even in someone's uh, you know act of taking their own life. Yeah, that's right, Matt. So, and, and particularly for younger people or anybody, that people get on social media and they leave these cryptic clues, right? But I think what we could do, we'll get into that more in prevention, is when we when we start to be concerned you know, having a face-to-face -face conversation. And, and so one of the myths is if you talk 
about suicide with somebody who's suicidal, you're going to force them, you're going to put the idea in their head, right? Well, that's not true. Actually, it's, I find that it's a relief that many people just want to unburden their, their hearts. Uh, there's three factors that come up, and you know, these, these are really important. Uh, one, this is from Dr. Thomas Joyner, who's a big suicidologist. So the people who, are, who do try to commit suicide take their own life. They feel intolerable, inescapable psychic pain. They're in tremendous emotional pain. So they're not trying to get back at other people. They're really absorbed in their own uh, pain. The second thing is that they start to feel that they're a burden to other people, that everybody else would be better off if I weren't here. Thinking about some of our elderly who I know have that, that kind of thought, like I'm useless, my life is, there's no point to it. Everybody else would be better if I'm gone. And then the third one, suicide is, starts to be seen as a way out of the pain. Uh, and that's why people have maybe tried to do uh, overdoses, chemicals, uh, maybe try to cut themselves and then it escalates. So when we know that, the, you know, just to, I think for empathy that we can say you're in a lot of pain but suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Whatever you're going through, even if it seems completely overwhelming and devastating, uh, suicide is not going to make it better. And the church teaches there's misconceptions about this. Uh, you know, that it, we look at the catechism 22, 82, 83. So it says grave psychological disturbances, anguish, they give a number of things, can diminish the responsibility of the one committing suicide. And like you said, we should not despair of eternal salvation for these people. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives. We commend them to God's mercy. So I think these are these are helpful things that uh, don't don't give up. We we want to try to intervene that people maybe are going through that that pain and back and forth, and then we can be paid careful attention to, you know, the warning signs. It's it's not a bad idea to to say you know I'm I'm concerned about you. I love you. I need you to get some help. There's a national hotline now for mental health for suicide 988 that you can dial anywhere anytime. Every county has a mental health crisis line. You could just look that up in whatever county you're in. And so, you know, people can get help. And, and maybe, you know, I've had to take people to the emergency room before uh, to try to assess, you know, how serious this is. And we don't know. We're, you know, most people are not mental health professionals. So there's many more people who think when I talk to them, they say, you know, if I just didn't wake up in the morning, that'd be fine with me. Well, that's not active suicidal ideation as opposed to I've got a plan. Uh, this is when I'm going to do it. This is where I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast. And we're actually going to continue this conversation tomorrow uh, just because it's such a, a huge issue um, that so many of us have dealt with uh, among our loved ones. And, you know, as we talk about with you know, Bobby Schindler every week, there are people being actively encouraged in some circles to pursue medically assisted suicide. So it's very much worth talking about from a Catholic perspective and a perspective that honors and upholds a culture of life. Well, that wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show. For those of you listening on the EWTN family of affiliates, perhaps streaming or you know, listening online, however it is you happen to be with us this morning, we appreciate you. We'll be back again tomorrow, another full hour coming up for our local audience. In the meantime, I'm Matt Swaim for Anna Mitchell, Paul Lockman, and all of our guests. Thanks for joining us on this Feast of the Korean Martyrs. Pray for us. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. <laughs>